I grew up with a really uh, fantastic experience of local church. So I went to St. James Ivan from birth. My mother was the organist. My dad was the local, you know, um, 21-year-old bloke who was involved in all the ministry there. And he offered to drive her home because um, she didn't have a car to, to ch- uh, you know, after church each week. And after that, they got married. So, you know, there's a, you have benefits in serving at church. Um, but I really grew up in that church and my grandparents were there as well. And... Um, I had lots of friends and family, and um, a lot of people living around Ivanhoe. So um, when I was a, in primary school, I used to, on Saturday mornings, get out my bike and ride, ride over to Dave's house, he lived in Ivanhoe, and we'd hang around and go riding around, and then I'd go back to his house and we'd have lunch together, and I'd talk to his family members, his mum and dad and his brother and stuff, and, and um, you know, it was like the funnest thing. That went on for years, that sort of Saturday morning, when I was a bit older, I'd go over to Nick Andreevsky's Nick Andreevsky's house. He was in Ivanhoe as well, and I'd wake him up, and he'd be still in his box of shorts because he'd been up late playing computer games, and you know he'd make me a really strong rocket fuel coffee, and you know, and we'd sit around and talk about life and all, all that sort of thing, and and uh, you know these are these are people you we we kind of call each other brothers of another mother, you know that sort of that phrase, you know. Um, you know, real kind of long-term history uh, that builds up. And there are heaps of people in this church, actually, which is a real blessing for me personally, that I've had that kind of history with, going back years, you know, um, from when we were still young and silly. And that's exciting. Now, I'll tell you all this because um, I'm trying to convey why I am persuaded by um, not just my misspent youth, but by what it is to be so close as members of a church, to not just be kind of, you know, associates who sit next to each other on a Sunday morning, but people who treat each other as brothers and sisters. Um, When we actually become family, not just brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, maybe grandmothers and grandfathers, maybe sons and daughters of each other. Now, Mary Creek's mission statement is cultivating life in our neighbourhood. And I love this statement because it captivates this kind of captures this farming kind of imagery of cultivating, you know, so we're sort of sowing the seed and putting a bit of fertiliser on and seeing what God's going to do with it. But also it it captures the local, the neighbourhood. Now, my guess is that most of us here would be pretty much on board with a local concept. Um, We're persuaded that it's good to be able to ride your bike to church. And even if you don't live close to Clifton Hill, you're a bit further away, you still kind of hope that you'll have some friends that come to Mary Creek that live close to you. And, um, you know, you're persuaded by that. But um, what we experienced in our first kind of few months of Mary Creek, probably first nine months, I'd say, uh, since we launched in the end of 2013, was that um, we, we would get together and be all excited, but we were a bit more like snooker balls on a table. So, you know, snooker balls kind of hit each other and bounce off, you know, and um, that's partly for all kinds of reasons, maybe because we were just kind of getting to know each other and, it, you know, there's a bit of kind of nervousness there and um, just sort of, you know, not, not yet comfortable. And slowly that's been changed to be a bit more like Velcro. That's kind of what the hope would be for us at Mary Creek, is we more like Velcro that sticks together. And there's certainly evidence that we're moving towards more of a Velcro kind of way of relating. Um, At the end of Acts 2, the passage that we just read, we see this amazing moment where 
we get our first snapshot into a church that is fully Velcro. They're, they're not a billion snookerball church at all. They, they, they have really embraced this kind of brother and sister kind of mother and father, family, church family kind of concept of church. Jesus had just ascended into heaven. Um, so they no longer had him present physically in body, but they now have the Holy Spirit. Um, and they were a church empowered by God at Pentecost that said tongues of fire had landed on them and, and, and the Holy Spirit enabled them to speak in different languages. But they were still on fire, clearly. You know, um, Just like God had appeared the fire you know, with burning bush with Moses, he kind of had appeared that day and that, they were just excited about what God was doing. And his divine presence was going with them and they were filled with the Spirit now, at the end of Acts 2, um, we are to look at that and be inspired. Whenever I read this passage, I get excited about what church could be like. And I believe the author Luke included this scene, and others like it, there are others that sort of say similar things, to inspire the future church. So I want to look at each verse and just pull something out of it. First of all, let's notice this. They were focused on the spiritual disciplines of corporate worship and, for, and, and hanging out together. So verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer. Straight away, we can see what lay at the heart of their community. They weren't just a local church. They just were having sandwiches together. First of all, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So instruction was really important. They wanted to put Jesus at the centre um, they wanted people to learn about what it meant to be a Christian. Jesus told them in the Great Commission, teach them to observe all that I've commanded, and they were doing that now. The teaching would have included the kinds of teaching we see in the New Testament about ethics, about church life, about practical stuff. So they had teaching, they had fellowship. Um, the word for fellowship in Greek is famous word koinonia, which evokes a kind of mutual bond that you have in marriage. There's a kind of intimacy there. Um, it's not just associates. This church, they shared their activities together during the week, but they were bonded together in love. There was a personal interaction there. This is not a snooker ball church. It's a Velcro church. Third, they're, they're breaking bread. Um, and we're not really supposed to see this as taking communion together, although it sort of sounds like it. It's, it's actually just breaking bread, having meals together. This is promoting the idea that there's intimacy. You don't have meals together unless you're really friends. And then they pray together as well. They sought out God's direction. They weren't just going on a vibe. So as you can see, this kind of church that we have before us to strive to be like is one that is relational. It's close. But their relationships aren't just anchored on being members of, a, in, of an organisation, but on love. And this is a good argument why belonging to a community group, I think, is important. Because in a community group, you can regularly learn and you can instruct each other from reading the Bible and doing Bible study. You can pray together. And you can anchor your relationships on something more than just a meal together. Look at this also, the second thing in verse 43. The surrounding community looked at them and noticed them. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs 
performed by the apostles. God was working through the apostles. And the church members were so on fire that it caused the people observing them to be filled with fear and awe. Their neighbours were started. Neighbours were startled. They were wondering what was happening in the church. They'd heard about healings. They'd heard about uh, the poor and, and, and widows that were destitute, actually having a smile on their face. They'd heard about people um, who were kind of marginalised actually being included. They'd heard loud singing. They'd seen the community staying up late studying the Bible. Jesus' ministry involved actions and words, and here the church is now performing actions and words. They were uh, powerful actions, and their word was the gospel. Peter, think of Peter, just in a few verses earlier, had stood up and preached a sermon, and over 3,000 people became Christians that day. Now that the church was performing these words and actions and, and seeing miracles occur and, pa- and power manifest, this was kind of a, a way of saying God is behind this church. God is behind it. Now the principle that we should get from this that is that is that really strong local churches where people have become a Christian family and are committed to each other and studied the Bible and pray together, that kind of church will get noticed by the neighbourhood. Local churches should not be secret huddles. A recent example of this with us at Mary Creek, where we got noticed, was when we helped out with the working bee last year, uh, at the end of last year, for the school. Yeah. And uh, the person who was managing the working bee was blown away that we would actually come and help. And for us, it was a little thing. For them, it was a big thing. And then they, that person went and told the school principal. And, you know, that is a really positive thing for us as a church. Over time, it's going to make a difference. Thirdly, observe this. They chose to share and give away their wealth and possessions like a generous family. Verse 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. These were people who had responded to the gospel preaching and they believed. Now they're together. Now they're experiencing unity. Not only were they practising koinonia fellowship, but they're also practising koina, similar word, the holding of items in common. It seems that this was an ongoing act of selling possession. It's not like that we sell everything all at once and then give it all away, but it's just this kind of lifestyle of selling and giving away. This shows the depth of love and fellowship they had for one another. You can tell when a church is really healthy and, you know, in a good place, and people are generous towards one another. People here aren't forced to share. It's not like a condition of membership on this church was that you had to give away all your possessions. If I was to do that at Mary Creek, if I was to say, conditional on joining Mary Creek is that you sell all your possessions, give the money away, we would be a cult. And also, you wouldn't be doing it out of generosity and love. You'd probably be doing it out of religious duty. And that's not what we're seeing here. Later on in Acts, you see this same kind of concept working on a bigger scale when the Gentile church raise a whole lot of money and give it to Paul, and then that gets given to the Jerusalem church. This very church we're seeing at the end of Acts 2. It's something that we can aim for, we can, we can strive towards. What, what we're seeing here is a church that's at a kind of unique place in history where they're as close to heaven as you get, I reckon. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but that's what it looks like. You know, I imagine heaven to be like the end of Acts 2, 
without any kind of division. Quickly, we do see a few chapters later, there's issues to have to work through like any normal church. But it's something for us to aim towards. Having said that, I'm not trying to put a disclaimer on being generous. I'm not trying to say what we said at the end of Acts 2 is just for then and now you don't have to do it. Because I want to say to you, if you want to be generous, be generous. If you think God is calling you to give your car away to another person who needs a car, do it. If there's someone who needs somewhere to live and you can bring them into your home and open up a spare room, do it. Being a community of Christian brothers and sisters means just forgetting about the concept of um, middle class boundaries. Be vulnerable with one another. Do things that look a bit weird. I reckon being a Christian is being in an alternative universe. Alternative to the middle class universe that we also live in. Means being trusting of one another and thoughtful. You know, um, I, I had two friends who got married when they were like 19 um, at St Hills and um, they didn't have any money. And um, another bloke in the congregation who was in his 20s who had money just decided to give them a, a honeymoon in New Zealand. Yeah, and he just gave them the money and they, and they, and they were able to have this amazing honeymoon in New Zealand. Now, that's the kind of thing you see in this alternative universe. That's the kind of generosity that shows a church that is overflowing with the grace and love of Jesus. So be inspired by this alternative universe of the kingdom of God in Acts 2. Be inspired by Christian and brothers and sisters who are caring for one another. Let's look at another thing. They worshipped and fellowshiped every day with each other. So verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So what's the difference between good ethical people in the inner north who, um, who you know, are generous with justice causes and, 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 and serving the poor. What's the difference between that kind of person and what we're picturing at the end of Acts 2? Because there is a difference. The difference is in verse 42, 43, 46 and 47. This very verse itself. It's a worshipping church. It's a church that puts Jesus at the centre. It's a church that's overflowing by the response of the grace of God in their life. It's a church that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. They go to the temple to worship each day. There's public corporate worship. They're continuing some of the practices that they had when they were Jewish. And the more that we continue to be a local church of brothers and sisters, the more we want to worship together. Uh, Last Sunday, the Inner West church plant started uh, so Pete Greenwood, who came and was the first guest preacher at our church in April, he, um, you might have heard, remember him talking about it, this church plan in at Kensington. And um, he said um, the thing that struck him, which was quite powerful, was how significant public worship was to their church plant life. Because you might say that's weird. No, it's not weird. When you're reading all the books on being a mission-shaped church and and, 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 and missional communities and all that kind of that new sort of books that are out there on how to reach the community, the public worship side of things can get pushed to the background and you can start to think, oh, maybe it doesn't even matter. Maybe it's just that the consumer Christians, we're going to be hardcore and get out there. But he said there's something profound about publicly opening your doors and singing some songs, reading, reading the Bible, praying, preaching a sermon having communion together. There's something profound about that. And we experienced a similar thing at Mary Creek, I think. As soon as we started meeting together on Sundays, it changed something. 
It was only until we could tell people the name of our church, the location, and that they could invite them to something and then have something to do together that it all became real. But not just large gatherings, meals together are important too, and we see that in the verse. Again, in verse 46, same as verse 42, breaking bread together is important. It's not a religious duty. They did it in, with glad and sincere hearts. They had a real joy that came from their faith. I, I know that on Friday night, some of the mums from the playgroup met together at Lydia's house for some hangout time. They gathered in a home. They broke bread. Probably it was cheese. I don't know what they actually broke. But they had a good time. This is all part of it. A big challenge that sort of flows a bit out of what Beck said before and what I'm saying now. This is a challenge. Very practical. At the end of this service, this is what I want you to do. This is, this is, no one's excluded from this. Every single person. I want you to invite someone else here over to your house for a meal. It doesn't have to be today that they come. But just... Find a time. And don't just invite your best friend or your sister. Invite someone you don't really know. And it doesn't have to be someone your age. Now, if it's, you know, if you're worried you're going to be mistaken as going on a date or something, then, you know, you can work that out. But um, maybe you want it to be like, I don't know. Um, but be vulnerable. Young and old together. Families and families or people who uh, live on their own with families or people who, two people who live on their own. It doesn't matter who they are. Just invite someone over. I'll see how it goes. I'm going to be doing it too, so look out. If I come over to you, you probably walk away. <laughs> now, for some of you, having people over to your home makes you feel anxious. And the reason is maybe because you're worried about how people will perceive your home. I know for many people, mess is a problem. Like, when I say mess is a problem, mess is a problem for our family. But the perception of what other people will say, you know... You're worried that somebody's going to come to your house and see dirty dishes or, or a smelly nappies in a bag tied up in the corner, you know, or, you know, whatever, toys on the floor, whatever it is. Your vinyl collection is strewn across the carpet. No. Um, you're worried what people are going to say, so you don't invite them. And there's this kind of, that's the middle class boundaries that go up again. Let's be vulnerable. Invite someone over. The joy of community. Gladness to see your hearts. The last thing I want to point to is that their joy extended to praise of God and that they grew through conversions. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The petrol that drives this kind of church is God's power and, and what, we, what the community observes. People's lives being transformed. People going from being lonely to finding community. People going from being lost to being saved. People not knowing Jesus to knowing Jesus. You know, people who have broken relationships, having healed relationships. People who are sick becoming healed. People who are nice, confident, upper middle class Christians but don't know Jesus being nice middle class, upper middle class Christians who are generous and radical and opening their doors to their homes and knowing Jesus, all motivated by the grace of Jesus. That's what motivates a church, should motivate a church. A vibrant uh, theologian, um, Daryl Bock, who was in Melbourne, when was he? Recently, wasn't he? At Ridley? Last year. Last year. Yeah, he said this, a vibrant community extends itself in two directions, towards God and towards neighbour. You have a in, strong internal fellowship, you have a deep love and intimacy, but you also have an engagement with the community. You have a joy in your faith that causes you to praise God. You're not a holy huddle. You're not a private club. 
your reputation causes people to take notice for good reasons. Your presence is infectious. John Stott said that this church was a learning church, a loving church, a worshipping church, and an evangelistic church. This is exciting. Now, I want to paint two pictures of a Merry Creek, two paths we could go down. One path is this. We become this high-level boutique in a north church that Christians go, that's pretty good. I get my songs, a bit of Keith Green every now and again. I get children's ministry, a sermon, good community life. I'm going to go to that church. Okay? This is the other Merry Creek church. We're a church that takes risks with one another and with the neighbours. We're vulnerable. Um, sometimes it gets messy, literally, in the community and in our homes as well. Um, but we see God working powerfully. We're grounded in Jesus. He's at the centre. We're praying and worshipping with each other, having meals together, inviting other people into those meals. It's a lot harder, but also a lot more exciting. We could go down this path very easily. I'm, I'm an expert at that kind of church. You know, I worked at St. Hilary's for 30 years. It's easy to kind of put on a show. We used to talk about it as a problem, you know, to put on the church show, you know. It's easy. We don't want to do that. I never wanted to do that. This is the kind of church I want to lead. I invite you to be part of this church. Keep me accountable to that. Now, there's one obstacle, or there's a few obstacles, but one big obstacle I think that could hold you back, apart from your nervousness about messiness in your home or the middle-class values, and that is just busyness. We are a busy church, as in the individuals are busy. I don't mean the church programs, I mean the individual lives. Um, it's just the demographic of the people in this community. And we, I just want us to think through that and pray against that and challenge ourselves with that. We want our neighbour neighbours to observe us as people who are available who are not just busy bees running around doing crazy things all the time. We want to encourage all of us to be Christians in our context, doing it together with a big heart and doing it with Jesus. One thing that I'm going to launch in May for us, and give us a fair bit of lead-up time, is uh, cultivating life in our neighbourhood month. And what that's going to be, I'm going to push us to get out of the door and do something that um, demonstrates that phrase. So you might want to think about what's something that you could do that lives out the concept of cultivating life in your neighbourhood. Um, some examples could just be helping the neighbour with the garden, gardening. You might be a musician and you want to put a gig on. You might um, um, want to get people together and do a big prayer thing. Um, I want us to be a church that kind of gets out and, and lives this out. So there's a, there's a practical suggestion of how to live this out. And secondly, I want to challenge us to join into the community groups, the life of the community groups. One thing we really need is more leaders. So if you think you could be a leader of a community group, um, come and talk to me, even if you have no idea what, I, what I'm talking about. So if you think, oh, maybe I could lead some people in discipleship and mission together, come and speak to me, because that would be something that would really pump me up. 
Let's pray and I'm going to open up to questions. Lord God, uh, we pray that we can stand fast in you. That as brothers and sisters we'll be rooted and firm in our faith. That we won't be blown away by kind of any attack or false teaching or sin. We pray that we can be united with the same mind that we can have a similar desire to see God's will being done. We pray that we can um, strive and labour in the gospel. We pray for all those um, in our church and also outside of our church that are striving for the gospel. We pray that we can be a church that rejoices in you. So we pray for the spirit of thanksgiving and appreciation. Pray that we can have glad and sincere hearts, that we can have joy that overflows into praise. And pray for gentleness, for fruit of the Spirit to grow. We we pray against anxiety, that as a community we can help each other um, to, to be confident in you and in your peace, to know your peace in our, in our hearts. We pray that you can guard our minds. We pray that we would have sound minds, free from the oppression of the lies of Satan. We pray that we can be a church that meditates on the word, that is a learning church. And we pray that our neighbours will see us as an example of God's work, God's power. And that they will be in awe of God because of what Mary Creek does. Amen.